Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Valley Church of the Nazarene. We are located at 228 Madison Avenue in Monte Vista, Colorado. I am Pastor Chris Yoakum, and I am so glad you have tuned in to listen to this message. I would also love to invite you to join us on Sunday morning for our small group discipleship classes starting at 9 a.m. for all ages, and our worship service starting at 10.15 a.m. We have many other activities and Bible studies throughout the week. Please visit our website at valleynaz.com and our Facebook page for more information. Our prayer is that you encounter the God of the Bible and come to know the joy of salvation through Jesus Christ, that you be equipped to engage the world for Christ. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 11. invite you to stand as we read God's Word, Daniel chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 28 through 32 this morning. We hold to the inerrancy and fallibility of God's Word, the authority of, of His Word. We also believe in it's so important to be good students of the Word. There is an art and a science to biblical interpretation, and um, we seek to understand what God's Word is speaking Daniel chapter 11, starting with verse 28 through verse 32. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against it and then return to his own country. At the appointed time, he'll invade the south again, but this time the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the western coastlands will oppose him and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Father, we're thankful for your word. Again, we're thankful for the faithful witness of Daniel. We're thankful for the messenger that you sent. Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom and insight this morning. And I pray that you would attend with both the preaching and hearing of your word. Pray that our hearts and our minds, our ears, be open and attentive. May we make room in our, our hearts for your word. Bless us, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so... We've come to this portion of Daniel, and I, I will say that uh, the remaining portion of Daniel is all very rich, very rich material, uh, very challenging material, and, um, but very, very good, uh, very, very good. All of God's Word is good, but this is particularly good, uh, and I think a, a particularly appropriate for the situation that we're in as we look at uh, challenging times where God's people had to stand up and they had to make difficult decisions. But as we see the remnant who is faithful, may we be encouraged by that. May we come to understand what they went through and how they were victorious because we want to be victorious in our day as well. Um, there's relative, relatively few, relatively few 
who remain faithful during this time. And it could be that as time goes on, there will be fewer and fewer who will remain faithful. But we want to be those who are faithful to the Holy Covenant. We want to be faithful to our God. And so last week, I talked about legitimizing evil, and which is it's a very important aspect of what we're going to talk about today. Um, this is one of the, the first steps that has, has to happen, that, that did happen here and, and has to happen for, for Satan to do what he is, is wanting to do in this particular case, but also in, in the last days, which we could be in the last days. We know we're in the, the last days in a sense because all the days since Christ comes have been the last days, but are we in the final last days? We don't know that, but this is why we study these things so that we can be aware and we will not be caught unaware when these things happen. And even if we aren't in the final last days, all, all of this is very uh, important for us to understand because, again, Satan isn't going to stop what he's doing. He's been doing the same thing since the beginning. He's going to continue until the end. And so, we know that he's at work. We know that Satan is at work because Satan is always at work to try to deceive and to, to destroy God's people. And so, these are very important things for us to look at. Just as a matter of review, Antiochus Epiphanes legitimized an evil way by use of the high priest and the temple. Antiochus and Ptolemy Philadelphus schemed together how to accomplish an evil plan, but their plans were doomed to fail because God had other plans. And that's, that's very important for us to understand that no matter how the powers that be scheme together, no matter how Satan tries to use them for his purposes, God's plan will ultimately succeed. But we see over in the second part of verse 28 that Antioch's Epiphany's heart was against the Holy Covenant. And so we see at this point, we understand what is really going on here. Antiochus Epiphanes has a, a heart that is hardened against God, and he is opposed to God's way. And we know that a big part of this, we know that there's a lot of um, ambition that goes into this. He's a, he's, a, he's a man who is always looking for legitimacy. Satan is using all these things. But one of the primary reasons why his heart is against the Holy Covenant is because he's a man being used by Satan. And Satan has taken him and is using him. And God is allowing this to happen. God is allowing Satan to have this time and allowing him to use Antioch's epiphanies. And we know that Satan can't do anything unless God allows it. And there's a purpose behind why God is allowing this. So Antiochus Epiphany's heart is against the Holy Covenant. It's interesting, the word there that is, that is used in the Hebrew doesn't really have a negative connotation. It's really just a word that can be translated on, or it can be translated above, or it can be translated against. Um, like I can put my, my hand against the, the pulpit here. It doesn't mean my hand is, a, is necessarily opposed to it. It's in contrast. It's a word that speaks of contrast. And so what we see here is that Antiochus Epiphanes is trying to bring a, as, as we see in verse 21, a slippery way. And remember when I talked about that word in the Hebrew, it has to do with a path that looks secure, 
but it's a hypocritical path because it's not really secure. Although it looks secure, it looks like a path, but it's slippery. It is not secure. It is, it is uh, a path that's going to make you fall if you try to walk on it. It's not going to lead you to the right way. And so we see that Antioch's Epiphany's heart um, is, is opposed to, he is not, he is, his heart is not in alignment with God's way. It's not in alignment with God's path. It's against it. It is something that is, is uh, it does carry the idea of opposed to, but it really is a, he's trying to bring a, a contrast to it. And I know we, I have mentioned that the slippery way that Antioch is trying to bring really is Hellenization. And we know that the Greek way had political connotations, religi- religious connotations. It was a whole different way of thinking. It was a philosophical system. It was a religious system. It was, it was not something that could, could really operate in, in concert with God's way. It was an opposing way that, that Antioch is trying to bring into, into the Jewish people, into, the, into uh, this uh, Judaism. And really, we know that Alexander the Great, he was trying to spread this message to all the world, and Antiochus is using this to come and subvert um, God's way. And so I have a term here, Antiochus used, Satan used Antiochus to engage in ideological subversion, okay? Now, ideological subversion, I did not coin that term. Some of you may have heard that term before, Um, but wait, I have a definition there. This is psychological warfare. Ideological subversion means changing the perception of reality of every American to such an extent, or any group, any system, to such an extent that despite the abundance of information, no one is able to come to a sensible conclu- to sensible conclusions in the interest of dis- defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. The guy that coined this term, Yuri uh, Bezmanov, was a former KGB agent. He spoke, he talked about this during the Cold War in regards to the Soviet Union. But the reason I bring it in is because I think it, it, it helps us to understand what is going on here in our passage. Um, by the way, ideological subversion, even though this man brought a definition to it, really this is Satan's MO, Okay. This is what Satan does. Satan always engages in ideological subversion. This is his way. And we know that a system which is bent against God, this is often what it does. Um, I was trying to think of an analogy. You know, if, if you're trying to get to a particular location and you have a road map um, or a GPS system, if somebody comes along and says, you know, you're going the wrong way, you need to go this other way, and you have a map or a GPS system that you have confidence in, then you can say, no, you know, you're not telling me what is right, and, and you won't be, you know, if somebody's coming to try, to try to lead you astray, you won't be fooled by that if you have a map or a compass or a GPS system. And so it, it, would, it would provide that protection. But what happens if somebody comes in and they corrupt the map or the GPS system or the compass to where that the things that you rely upon to make judgments, now those are skewed. Now it's easier for somebody to come in and lie to you because they can reinforce that lie. And when you go back to look at the things that you, you are counting on, if those things are skewed, it's going to be easier to deceive you. And ideological 
uh, subversion. Um, the idea of the, the perception of reality, that's the ideology, your perception of reality. And this is so important for us to understand. This is what Satan engages in. You remember in the Garden of Eden, right? God had simply come and, and given Adam and Eve very simple instructions. He had told them that, you know, they could live in the garden, they could eat from the tree of life, but they must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or they will surely die. And so what does Satan come in? He comes in and brings an alternative perception of reality, an alternative perception of reality, um, always known as a lie. Now, we've all engaged in this, haven't we, right? If I remember when I, I had two sisters, and if my parents said, did you hit your sister? Well, I might come up with an alternate, alternative perception of reality, right? Uh, no, you know, I didn't intend on, on hitting my sister. Uh, she, you know, I simply tripped and fell and I hit her. You know, I might try to pass off this uh, alternative perception of, of reality and skew things. And so this is, this is what, what happens when what we, what we hold to and what we trust in becomes skewed, all of a sudden then we, we, are, we begin to be susceptible to an alternate perception of reality. This is what Antiochus is trying to bring to God's people. He's trying to bring a slippery way, a, a, a path that seems, seems right, seems true, but it's not. So ideological subversion, first step, introduce an alternate perception of reality or a lie. The second step is make people believe that the true perception of reality is not absolute, but one possibility among many. Now, we know that in this particular step, God's people had already arrived at this place because Satan had already been working. The reason that God is allowing Antiochus to do what he is doing is because the people have been unfaithful to the covenant. They have, they have already begun to think that God's way isn't the, the absolute way, that we could, we could synchronize with other ways and they've become unfaithful to God, and this is why God is allowing Antiochus to do these things. So first you introduce this lie, then you make people believe that, that the truth is simply one possib possibility among many. In other words, there's, it's not absolute. And we can see that in our, in our country today. We can see the way that absolute truth is being denigrated, we're, we're being, being told that there, there is no absolute truth. And, you know, while we might, we might not be as susceptible to that, how about our young people? Are they, how susceptible are they as, as science and all these various things begin to erode the idea that there is an absolute truth? And so this is the next, the next stage is simply get people to, to believe that that the, the true way is simply one way among many. And can I tell you that this is going on in several different ways? Our nation is being inundated by alternate ways. The third step is to make people believe that the true perception of reality is not desirable. It's not desirable. And fourthly, make people believe that the false perception of reality is more desirable. And so we see in verse 29 through 30a, it says, at the appointed time, he'll invade the south again, but, but this time the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the western coastlands will oppose him and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the holy covenant. And then in verse 31, his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. 
then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. And so what we have here is we have the alternate perception of reality. We have this, this sense in which God's, many of God's people are, are, they don't believe that God's way is the absolute way. And then Antiochus comes in and makes it really, really hard to be a Christian or a uh, faithful believer. Antiochus Epiphanes comes in and makes it very, very difficult to follow God's way faithfully. And we can look at historically, you can look at all the things Antiochus Epiphanes did, but it was terrible the things that he did. He made it very challenging. If you were going to stay faithful to the covenant, it was going to cost you. And so many people turned away because they had already been prepared for this because they had, had ceased to really think that, you know, following God faithfully was all that important anyways. And now it's not only not important, but now it's really, really bad to follow God's way. Now it's really, really bad to follow God's way. And so Antiochus comes in and he begins to make it very hard to faithfully follow the covenant. We know that historically, Antiochus Epiphany tried to, to recapture, he went into Egypt again. We know that he is turned back by Rome. By the way, as I said last Sunday, the Septuagint had been, um, the Old Testament had been translated into Greek language, and so I have a feeling that Antiochus knew that these prophecies, and probably there's a certain sense in which he knew the reason he could not accomplish his goals was because God was not going to allow it. The prophecy was really, had already been spoken against him. He was only going to be able to make it so far. And so Antiochus is turned back by Rome. We know also that historically uh, Jason, the high priest who had been, um, who had been ousted and then Menelaus was put into to power by Antiochus, um, Jason had heard a false report that Antiochus Epiphanes had been killed and took this as an opportunity to try to regain power. And Antiochus Epiphanes took this as a, as a challenge to his authority and went in and, and did what he did to Jerusalem and the temple. But I want us to see that all of these forces are working together to create this situation where there is great persecution upon those who follow God faithfully. All of these things are working together. Satan is manipulating and moving things in this direction in order to accomplish this, to get people to turn away, turn their hearts away from God. And so if, if people were at a place where they did not consider following God faithfully to be all that important, now, now that it's really difficult to follow God faithfully, so many turn away. And then in 30, the second part of verse 30, we see that the last part of this, Antiochus commends and rewards those who forsake the Holy Covenant. It says that he will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. So do you see the picture here? Because of the unfaithfulness of God's people, the Lord, it's as if God opens the doors and allows Antiochus to come in, Satan, by using, and using Antiochus to come in, and he begins to deceive people by making it really, really bad and hard to follow faithfully and making it really a favorable thing to follow, to forsake the Holy Covenant. Both of those things. Antiochus, the, the, the idea there is that um, Antiochus takes note. He takes note of those who forsake the Holy Covenant. So in other words, those who, who, who uh, try to remain faithful, 
He, is, he brutalizes them, and those who do forsake the Holy Covenant, He takes note of them, and He commends them and rewards them and puts them into to high position in His, his regime. And what, what's going on there is that then they become uh, those who keep watch on everybody else to, to, uh, to see who, who is faithfully, who's faithful to the covenant and who are unfaithful. And so we see all of these factors coming together. And it says that Antiochus defiled the covenant violators with false assurances in verse 32a. It says, with, flat, with flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. With flattery. The idea of flattery there is the word, it, it has the idea of slippery. It's a kind of the same word as, remember we talked about the slippery way that he's coming in. And so Antiochus comes in and he is able to corrupt them by this, by this slippery way. He comes in and he um, gives them a false assurance that, that what they're doing by violating the covenant is going to be good for them. It's going to be good for them. It's going to be okay. This is the right way to go. Now, in our world today, folks, all of these things are at work. All of these things are at work. Satan is doing all of these things. He has presented the lies. He has, he has worked to try to eliminate the idea of an absolute truth. And we've seen to a certain extent the, the fact that there, is, there, is, there are consequences for being faithful. We've also seen the way that now there is, it's like it's, there's a benefit. If you, if you go the way, the way of the world and follow the way of the world, there's a benefit to it. And I believe that it's very possible that depending on how the election goes, this is going to ramp up in a major way. So I want us to see that we're facing this, but this is what God's people faced this was the challenge that they had to face in being faithful to God in their day. Now, remember that God is the one who has allowed this to happen. God is only going to allow Satan to go so far, and God is not going to allow Antiochus to completely obliterate God's people. You have to ask yourself this question, why is it that Antiochus comes in and simply comes in and defiles the temple, and he tries to turn people away from God? Why doesn't he just bring his army and wipe the Jewish people off the face of the earth, you know? How come Adolf Hitler wasn't able to do that? How come this has happened so many different times? I can tell you why. It's because the time is not right. It's because the prophetic timeline has not reached that time yet. And so Antiochus can't do that. And so he does everything that he can. Satan does everything that he can through Antiochus, but he can't do that. But can I tell you that there is coming a time when God is going to remove all restraint and Satan is going to be allowed to defeat God's people. We see that in Revelation chapter 12. If we're at that time, the same principles that God, God's people had at that time are what we have to follow as well. Verse 32b, listen to this. Here's, here's what we have to do. The people who know their God will firmly resist Him. The people who know their God will firmly resist Him. The people who know their God, an intimate knowledge of God and His Word is the foundation of faithfulness. If we don't know God and we don't know what His Word says, how, again, it's kind of like the ideological subversion, we, things begin to change and people can't make the right choices about 
what we're going to do if we don't know and know the absolute standard. If we don't know God, we have to have that intimate relationship with Him that allows us to trust Him completely and to know that His Word is true. And then we, we also know that even if we have to suffer, He hasn't abandoned us, right? We know that His love for us, is, is, it lasts forever. He's going to be faithful to us. We have to know that, and we have to know His way. So the people who know their God. And so I ask you this morning, you need to, is something to, to ask yourself and to know within yourself, do you know your God? Do you know your God? Do you have an intimate knowledge of God and His Word that will create a foundation for faithfulness in the future? Have you allowed any kind of this subversion to come in where, where somebody has come to you and you've bought into something that is false? Have you, begin, have you begun to, to question the validity of God's Word or the absolute nature of God's truth? Have you perhaps given in to the intimidation that if, you, if you're faithful to God, it's going to cost you? Or perhaps you have been allured by those who have said, you know, if, you're, if you forsake God, it's going to be better for you. These are all these different ways that Satan is going to use. And we have to ask ourselves, do we know our God? Do we know His Word? Are we being faithful to Him? Those who know their God will accept no alternatives. Those who know their God will accept no alternatives. We do not accept any alternative perception of reality. We firmly resist all alternate, alternate perceptions of how and when the universe began. We firmly resist alternate perceptions of when life begins and its value. We firmly resist alternate perceptions of who defines marriage. We firmly resist alternate perceptions of who defines human sexuality. We firmly resist alternate perceptions of who defines gender. We firmly resist alternate perceptions of where our rights and freedoms come from. We firmly resist alternate perceptions of who distributes wealth. We believe that God is sovereign. We firmly resist alternate perceptions of who controls the climate. As a side note, can I just say this? Everybody believes that there's climate change. It's a fact, right? We also believe that there are many, many factors that, that affect climate change. However, we believe that the number one factor that affects climate change is God. You see, you see the ideological subversion? Take God out of every equation and you're left with a lie. We firmly resist alternate perceptions of who controls the viruses. Folks, if there is any doubt that human beings don't have control of this thing, well, let there be no doubt. Our God is the one who's in control of these things. And we better realize that sooner rather than later and repent and realize that the one who can control the, the climate and the environment and control viruses 
We need to be in His good graces. We need to pray for His mercy. We need to follow His way so that we have His blessing. We need to humble ourselves. Our God has made a holy covenant with His people, right? He made a holy covenant with the Jewish people. He has made a holy covenant with us as Christians. He's made a holy covenant with us. Now, we could spend time on that. The covenant says, listen, I will provide for you and I will redeem and protect you and you will follow my way. So when we fail to follow God's way, we should not be surprised when God says, I'm going to remove my protection from you. Because our God is a covenant-keeping God. And we see this so clearly in Daniel, right? When God blesses obedience, He's a covenant-keeping God. When He brings cursing upon us for disobedience, He is a covenant-keeping God. And I, I could read you, and I will probably bring in and read you those who faced and went through this time, they knew that. They could see that. And it's such an important part to know that what we, we look to God and when He does bring calamity, we say, you know what, God, You are just and You are faithful in doing this. Lord, help us to repent. Help us to turn back to You. Our God has made a holy covenant with His people. Our perception of reality is governed by our sovereign God. Our God speaks and we hold fast to His Word. We must firmly resist all false ideologies. God will not forsake His people, and we must not forsake our God. Stand with me this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, We look to You. Lord, this list that I provided is not exhaustive, Lord. In every area, we look to You. Oh, Lord, we are not going to, to take You out of any equation because when You are taken out of any equation, the answer is false. And so, Father, I pray that we would be people who are constantly adding You back into the equation. Father, that we would help our world to see that there is one God, and He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the designer and the definer of all things. And we thank You this morning that You also are our Redeemer. Thank You that You are able to bring redemption. You are able to bring forgiveness. You are able to, to take people who are going the wrong way, and you're able to bring them back. And I pray this morning, if there's anyone here, Lord, who has allowed other things to come in, Lord, if there's anyone here who has accepted, Lord, a, a false ideology or a lie, Lord, that we would turn back to you, that we would see your way, that we would see that you have a plan, we would see that you have an answer. And Father, help us to realize that if we don't believe it, if we don't hold fast to it, how can we expect the world to, or our community, our nation, our world? Lord, help us to realize that you have put us in this position to be witnesses to your truth, to your way. 
Father, in a short time, there's going to be an election. And Father, we know that, um, Lord, you are the one who is going to be in ultimate control of the outcome of this election. And Father, we know that to a large degree, we deserve the um, leadership that we, we get. So, Father, we pray for mercy. We pray, Lord God, that you would shine your light. We pray, Lord God, that you would turn hearts away from wickedness and sin and evil, that you would turn hearts away from falsehood, that you would defeat the power of the enemy, that you would deliver us from his hand. Father, we are grateful that there's no one that is beyond your reach. You are able. So, we pray that you would be with all of our leaders and all of our candidates and all of these, these things, Lord, that you would shine your light on them, that they would come to know you through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord God, that you would guide us. Lord, we don't know what's coming. We know that we have a responsibility as citizens to vote. We have a responsibility as citizens to firmly resist those things which are contradictory to your word and your way. Help us to navigate through that. Father, as we, we look next Sunday at the way your people handled that, some good, some bad, Lord, but I pray you'd help us to stand up. Help us to have boldness. Lord, help us to be firmly assured of your truth, no doubts. And I pray, Lord God, that we would not be intimidated, and that we would also not be allured, but help us to be faithful. We are thankful. We praise you. Dismiss us now with your peace. Lord, help us not to go away from this place and forget what we've heard, but bless and be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.